In our never-ending quest to try to find a consistent day to record, we land on Wednesday, which is probably not going to be our consistent day to record into the spring. Some other things popped up. My kids don't have school the next two days for some odd reason, but uh, it makes it a little tougher to record. But anyway, we're here coming at you probably on a Wednesday night, maybe on a Thursday morning, but we're glad you're here regardless. This is the Lions 24-7 podcast. I am Sean Fitz. He is Tyler Donahue. Not a ton to get to today, but still plenty of things happening at Penn State. Yeah, past, present, future all on display right now for Penn State. Uh, we got a chance to see the guys who are moving on from Happy Valley on Tuesday for the Pro Day, and, and, and we'll get to that in a second. Some guys really stood out, built their case for, for NFL roster spots. And then, of course, we're focused in a week into spring camp. Uh, Wednesday night, uh, you know, after we record this, we're going to get a chance to check in with James Franklin after a practice session. So look for more news on that. And then, of course, for the future, we've had a ton of recruiting content. It was a busy weekend. So, uh, Sean, hitting all three phases on this podcast. Yeah, hitting hitting the cliches, too, in the past, present, future. All right, we'll start with Pro Day. That's the freshest thing in our brain. Penn State had, I think, 15 or 16 guys work out, uh, at, you know, at Haluba, at Lash on Tuesday. Um, really, it's more about the off-the-radar guys, I would think. Seven guys went to the Combine, and seven of them let their numbers stand. I think Kevin Givens may have done the vert, and Sharif Miller benched again, where he, he added one to his rep total from the Combine. Uh, so not a ton happening with the, the big-name guys, but there were a couple guys that I think helped their cause, at least get into a camp. And, and we saw last year with a guy like Jason Cabinda, just getting into the camp is is half the battle, and sticking is is a whole nother thing. But at the end of the day, I mean, you, you, you've got a shot to do that. Nick Scott's a guy that really jumps out to me. I mean, he doesn't have a ton of, uh, a, a ton of on-field stuff on his resume, but his athletic numbers were terrific. Yeah, and Nick Scott, um, you know, a guy that a lot of people, Hardcore Penn State fans are very familiar with and appreciate, but you talk about the NFL draft and all the talk that goes on around the Nittany Lions. He's not a name that you hear mentioned very often, but he's a guy who I think certainly helped himself. You know, you look at the testing numbers across the board yesterday, 5'11", 201 pounds, a guy who goes out, runs that 4'4", in the 40-yard dash, uh, 10'8", broad jump, and then he had the highest vertical, 41 inches, and he had a heck of a one-handed catch also in coverage drills. Um, he was out there with Omani Oruwariye. We saw uh, Koa Farmer out there with some defensive back work along with linebacker work, but I thought Nick Scott, in terms of talking to him afterward, um, he He's very at peace with his situation. He's going to keep fighting. He knows he's not going to be a a marquee member of this draft class. He sounds like a guy who wants to get himself on a roster, find that open door, and and then stay. And, 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 you know, you've talked to him a bunch. Mark Brennan has talked to him a bunch. Uh, You know, you hate to have favorites on the beat, but it's hard not to like Nick Scott because he's a guy who has always been very open with the media, open about the locker room and and their state of affairs. And and not a lot of guys can be two-time captains, and he did it with two phases of the football team, one year as special teams, another year as defensive captain. And and typical, you know, Nick Scott, a bit overlooked, uh, as he's going through most of his drill work was when McSorley was available for his media session. So probably about three dozen of us at least were gathered around Trace McSorley while Nick Scott was potentially making himself some money out there in the practice field. And it's good to see. And you said you you don't want to have favorites, but Nick Scott is a guy that from, from the time he was recruited, I mean, you knew that he was kind of a special personality, two-time captain, as you mentioned, tested extremely well. And yeah, I mean, he doesn't have extensive tape as a safety. He got a couple of picks this year, I believe, but uh, you know, he'll have the opportunity to get in there and they're always looking for guys that can play on special teams. And that's been Nick Scott's thing for the last couple of years. He was a special teams captain, of course, special teamer, a guy that, uh, you know, you you never know. I mean, and there's a lot of athletes around there and, and you hate to play. One of the worst things about pro days is where would, where would they rank at the combine? I mean, it's a very different setup. It's a very different situation. So you don't want to read too much into that. But those are legit numbers. If you saw his vertical, I mean, it was it was impressive because he, he went up and he just kept going and he floated there for a second, 41-inch vertical, which matches the numbers from uh, a couple of really, really good Penn Staters from last year. So um, happy to see that happen. Uh, kind of not not really on the flip side, but Koa Farmer tested extremely well, which is probably pretty frustrating if you're a Penn State fan because it didn't quite match up the tape that uh, that he put out. Unfortunately, four four eight though he can fly. Uh, we've always known that. I think he's got a four four two on the board and lash uh, at the in the weight room. Um, but uh, he tested well. Johnny Thomas breaking off a four four. Uh, that guy is just absolutely massive as a running back, and you never know. I mean, it, it, Josh McPherson, a kid from the it was a walk-on. He never played. I think he played like two plays in his Penn State career on offense. But 
He's stuck around in the CFL. He's done some things. Brandon Johnson a couple of years ago as a running back, had a cup of coffee with the Steelers uh, in camp. So these guys that don't play, this is their opportunity to get out there. And some of those guys made the most of it. Yeah, and Koa Farmer told us he, he has shed some weight. You know, Typically, you're going to see these guys in, in combine form in the best shape of their life because they know what they could potentially benefit from well, putting well, it all let's, together. Let's here. be honest. They better be in the best shape of their they life, better not be, only for yeah. the combine, but every time you update them during their career, they better be in the best shape of their life. But that's neither here nor there. Absolutely, but with Koa, you know, two hundred twenty-eight pounds is six foot one. Uh, you know, four four eight. That, that definitely stands out, and he's a guy that you know, talking to him a, a, after his workout and, and hearing him talk about Cam Brown and Micah Parsons, he's a guy that has a lot of pride in what he contributed and 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 as a mentor in that locker room, and and he's proud of the work he put out there. And he's a guy that obviously was very polarizing, and Micah Parsons' uh, you know, presence in the locker room has been great. But if there's one guy who's, who's maybe had to deal with some repercussions on that, it's it's this guy, Koa Farmer. Um, so I think, you know, we'll see where he gets there. I think special teams is, is going to be important for him, just like it's going to be important for Nick Scott. And, and Nick Scott has proven he can be a star on special teams. With Koa Farmer, you know, he like I said, working at defensive back, working at linebacker. You know, if he's viewed as one of those tweener guys, uh, then it's going to depend on defensive scheme. It's going to depend on, on what pops on tape. But uh, I think his goal has to just be to get inside of a camp. And Jonathan Thomas, you know, he got his opportunities uh, a, a couple times, special teams moments this year at Indiana, had a big return. But obviously someone who worked behind the scenes largely. And, and you can see the work. Every time you see Jonathan Thomas, the guy was arguably the most physically imposing member of this roster in 2018. And I know a lot of guys are rooting for him. And you mentioned, you know, there's other paths to take to play for professional football. Uh, we've seen guys go those routes. There was 30 NFL teams uh, on campus on Tuesday. The two exceptions were the Dallas Cowboys and the Arizona Cardinals. But you also had a couple Canadian Football League teams and everybody's favorite, a WWE slash XFL representative. And I think the XFL thing, that's going to be interesting because there's another avenue for players to pursue. Uh, for as long as that league stands, we'll see in 2020. Uh, but, you know, there were a lot of eyeballs out there. I love that. I love the WWE XFL scout as if they're splitting it up already. But yeah, the AAF is out there, the XFL. There's going to be opportunities for these guys, and it won't be the the seven-figure deals or anything like that, but you've got an opportunity to play football if you want to do that. So, Sean, can we, all, we also have to mention another guy who was at, you know certainly had his moments of being maligned during the 2018 season, DeAndre Tompkins. You know, he was in and out of that starting rotation. He said his goal was to go out and run a sub-4-3, which sounds insane, but when he goes out and runs a 4-3-3, then it seems pretty attainable, uh, and, and he's going to have to do it on special teams as well, show what he can do as a punt returner, all Big Ten honors at that position in 2017. But I thought he had a really nice day catching the ball from Trace McSorley. You know that that tape is going to be reviewed. You know that a lot of people were focused in on Trace's session. He had a really, really nice grab. And I know a lot of people are going to say, well, turn on the film, look at the drops, look at the inconsistencies. He can't control that right now. All they control is what is in front of him. And he looks like somebody who's ready to make a run and give himself a shot. Yeah, I hope so. DeAndre's been a kind of a warrior for the last couple of years, and it's unfortunate the way it went when he was asked to take a step up into that limelight or, or whatnot. Um, can do it on special teams, as you mentioned. He's been a return guy. Uh, can be a gunner, I think, uh, You know, with that speed. You put him on the outside, see what happens. And it's going to be an uphill battle for him to stick in the NFL, but you know, he could have some opportunities elsewhere. The guys that we knew, um, everybody I think there was to, to see Trace McSorley. As we mentioned, the guys that went to the combine really didn't do much besides positional work. Uh, but Trace McSorley threw the ball well, as do most quarterbacks in their pro days. So that's good to see. I think um, you know you get him healthy, and I still think he'll be drafted. Uh, not quite sure where he falls in terms of that, but there's there's certainly just such a need for quarterbacks, and and somebody's gonna you know not maybe not fall in love with him, but somebody's gonna put a grade on him where they they, they probably overvalue him as a quarterback. And if you were keeping track at home, there was probably seven or eight tweets making fun of the fact that he was finally under center, and there's what you've always wanted to see. Uh, and of course, that's the big question. You know, what's he going to do uh, as a guy who's asked to, to go into a completely different structure of an offensive attack? And you know, his accuracy was clearly in the fo forefront for him during the last few months. He mentioned that it's something he's really worked on because that stood out. You know, it is plummeted by more than ten points from his junior year to his senior year. We know there was an offensive coordinator change, some issues around him in terms of weapons, uh, but that's still a stark contrast in, in terms of balls that were being completed. Uh, by my count, three balls hit the ground. Uh, during his 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 12 minute or so uh, throwing session, 
really nice work in, in the red zone. Uh, it's hard to tell, obviously. For, you know, scouts are looking for you know, each of those guys looking for different things. They're, they are picking apart Trace McSorley with every move that he makes. Uh, but you know, from somebody who has seen him go through it in games, uh, it was a little weird to see Trace McSorley out there throwing against there and and seeing everybody around him. I love this kid when he's going up against you know a defense and and what he brings and 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 you know the the kind of passion he has. This was very quiet. Uh, very concentrated, but I think Trace McSorley walks away helping himself. I, I certainly don't see anything, again, not an NFL scout, surprise, but I don't see anything that would be a detriment um, in terms of what we saw on the practice field. And, and certainly you'd have to imagine there were conversations with scouts, with coaches, with executives. And Sean, he did address the you know the speculation that maybe is there a move to safety in, in this future if he wants to play in the NFL he said, well, he hasn't taken any backfield, uh, any backpedals in about five and a half years. He's focused in on quarterback, but he did say he thinks it's a compliment. He thinks it speaks to the athleticism that he brings to the field. Go look at his 40 time, his shuttle time. It's all right there. He sounded like someone who was at least open to the idea of embracing that versatility, but for sure going to pursue a career as quarterback as long as he can. I'm sure that's really what he wanted to say. It was, it's a compliment to, to have you for the last five years, I've been a quarterback. Yeah. It's really a compliment for that you want to see me at safety where I haven't played since high school. So don't worry, Sean. Uh, we heard uh, it's it's uh, we heard a lot of negative things from his teammates, much like Saquon Barkley, who I, I believe said it was an insult. Or uh, we heard the same thing over and over because his teammates were all asked about McSorley potentially switching positions, and you know whether it was Nick Scott or Sharif Miller, they, they said it was disrespectful of Trace McSorley and what he could do at the quarterback position to even broach that subject. So Trace took the high road. His teammates did some of the talking for him. That, that always helps to have those guys around. Uh, so some of the other guys, I think the interviews are kind of the important thing here, where you go from there. Some, some of Penn State's players talked, have talked to teams, obviously. Um, you know, you're talking about Amani probably being the first guy off the board. Miles Sanders is in that, uh, that conversation a little bit later, as well as Connor McGovern. So... And it's too probably it's probably too early to project where these things line uh, line up, but you can usually take away a little bit from the teams that they're talking to, right? Um, you know, a lot of these guys were were so, some were open and would mention a few teams. Most, as you'd expect, kept a lot of the details you know under their hat. Uh, they're they're trying to approach this uh, from a cautious standpoint. I think uh, the draft process and when you when we did hear was Connor McGovern had met with the Tennessee Titans before he spoke with us. Um, then this morning, NJ.com, Matt Lombardo reporting uh, that Amani Oruwari is going to be uh, at camps for workouts with the Jets and the Giants coming up in New Jersey. Um, so yes, you're hearing thumbs, something surface. Miles Sanders uh, said he met with three teams yesterday before he spoke with the media. Um, and I think Sanders is a guy who, when you look at the trajectory of these draft prospects, I think Amani, you know, really since the end of that regular season, midway through the regular season, He's been viewed as you know a top 50 to 60 draft prospect. You'll see where he lands, who has the need, who's willing to maybe go up and get him. Uh, but in terms of Miles Sanders, I think we've seen him steadily go up draft boards. Some people think he's in that conversation to be RB1. And one thing I just don't think we saw quite enough of during his college career uh, to get a true appreciation for it is his ability as a receiver. He has focused in on that um, for the last couple of years. He talked about it a lot last offseason, replacing Saquon Barkley and the dual threat that Barkley could be. And now I think he's aware of what an all-purpose back can do in the NFL, what they're being asked to do. And, and you look at who's getting paid at the position, it's guys who can catch the football in the NFL. And I think Miles Sanders really helped himself in that regard. Guard. He had a great, you know, uh, streaking down the sideline, full extension with his arms, grabbed a long distance Trace McSorley pass, and, and you heard some oohs and ahs, and it just seemed like everything Miles did, a lot of nods from the NFL contingent. And I don't think he's going to end up with the Giants, no matter what those people have said. His <laughs> uh, his answer to the question about the dual backfield, uh, you know, he's sick of Saquon Barkley questions. That's, I mean, he's been sick of it since he was, before he was the starter here. Um, but uh, for him to uh, to say that it had to be a two back system, that's that's good on him. It wasn't as good as as his mother's tweet. I'll let you guys dig that up. But uh, it was still still pretty funny. Prior to pro day, uh, Penn State hosted a bunch of guys for a busy. Well, I guess we would call that a junior day. Sixteen offered kids on campus, not counting the commits. Of course, uh, Grant Tutant was there. A couple of 2019 commits as well. So. Uh, big weekend for Penn State. Some new offers went out. Uh, they offered Indiana offensive lineman Josh Fryer, who I think is an interesting kid. It uh, kind of reminds me of Bryce Effner. He can be kind of a swing guy. We have him listed as a center on 24-7 sports, but uh, he's probably an interior guy, but he's also over 6'5". I mean, he's got some good length on him. 
He's uh, he's got some athleticism as well. So Josh Fryer, uh, he's a kid that I could see coming back to campus uh, fairly soon. And I don't know that he would end it or anything like that, but it's uh, it's certainly an intriguing opportunity for him. And then Joe Johnson, the cornerback from uh, Virginia, was a guy that Penn State you know wanted to bring up. Check out his size. I mean, he's six one and a half, six two. He's got uh, you know for for that position, very good length as well. So Joe Johnson's a guy they like a lot, and he came out of the visit saying that that Penn State's is number one. That's always a nice reaction coming off a visit to hear from anyone that you hosted. Uh, and, and, and with this group, I think, you know, there obviously is a lot of focus on, on several classes now. And you're seeing some 2022 action start to pick up. One of those names, Caden Saunders out of Westerville South High School. And, and, and uh, Sean, you're well aware of this, but that is essentially uh, in the neighborhood of, uh, of Columbus. And, and that is right there in Ohio State Territory. Uh, I believe that's where Jalen Gill came out of a few years ago. It was Westerville, a, a top running back prospect. And and here's another guy labeled as an athlete 24-7. Still got a long way to grow, uh, but 2022 guy out of Ohio, Caden Saunders, uh, picking up that offer as well. Penn State had a couple of teammates in from Kentucky last week, offered them both. Uh, they were actually on different uh, different trips. Offensive lineman Jaeger Burton. I think it's Jaeger. I'm going to call him Jaeger. It's J-A-G-E-R. Um, and I'm, I'm not calling him or not, not calling him. Jaeger. Um, he was he picked up an offer midweek in Deacle Crowdus, which I'm not sure where they're getting these names in Kentucky, but they're awesome. I love them. Uh, but he picked up an offer as a, as a slot guy on Saturday. So Penn State extending into Kentucky, and you see a little bit of Jared Parker coming out in that because he's got the background there. Yeah, it makes total sense. And, and you know, use these coaches as resources the best thing uh potentially an overlooked thing we all focus in on what are they going to do with the position well what are they going to do for your recruiting map where can they get you that you weren't before um and you know obviously there's a direct line between this staff right now and kentucky they have one of the best to come through on a kentucky high school field in terms of productivity and jared parker yeah and uh, you know that that, it's not going to be a spot that they go to a lot for for guys, you look at the footprint, it's a little bit out. And, of course, we, we talked about those guys that they recruited from West Virginia and, and Spring Valley, Doug Nestor at the end of the cycle, and Zach Williamson. Of course, Brenton Strange is out from there as well. But there's talent in, uh, in Kentucky. They've got the, uh, you know, it, it's not a state where you're going to stay home. Louisville and Kentucky are there. But, uh, you know, Rondale Moore went to Purdue. You know, this is one of those things where if you can tap some potential out of there, you can do that. It can happen. They can, they can go anywhere from there. Some names we knew uh, coming out of the the Junior Day weekend. I think that Penn State probably made its biggest strides with with, with Cole Brevard from Indian uh, Indianapolis, Carmel, Indiana, um, and uh, you know I think Penn State's in a really good spot with him right now. I like this kid, and and he's you know. He- He's another one of those guys that you can see playing a few different spots. Uh, clearly, an interior guy on the on the defensive line, but uh, I don't think it's out of question to see him evolve or potentially rebuild him. Number one prospect out of Indiana, um, and, and you know when you're looking to address this defensive line in the 2020 class, he's somebody who stands out. Uh, and, and and as you documented here in our notes, uh, Koziah Izzard, uh, he's a guy who has consistently pointed to Penn State as one of his top options, if not the top option. He's a name that. Kind of been on commitment watch here and there for a while, and, and he gets back to campus as well. And Jaden Dotton, another name that I think those who follow Penn State recruiting closely, those who follow Lions 24-7, those are a couple of names that you've known about for a while uh, in these 2020 class construction. A couple that you know could end up deciding sooner rather than later, and when they do, Penn State appears to be right there in, in firmly in the mix. All three of those guys, I think Penn State's got a real good shot at. Um, but Cole Brevard's going to be back. Uh, probably a couple of times this spring. Dotton's a guy that's been fairly regular on campus. You'd like to see him make it back for the spring game or something like that. He's going to go check out some other schools, Michigan included. And Izzard as well is, is a fairly frequent visitor out of DeMatha. Not as frequent as Julian Fleming, who was back on campus this weekend, of course, to, to see some friends, uh, as we say, and meet with the staff a little bit. Penn State's still in the mix. He's going to go to Ohio State this weekend and, and check things out. I mean, that's just the, the way it is with Julian these days is you're going to have to weather those storms as a Penn State, or excuse me, weather those visits as a Penn State fan, see where it comes out on the other end. I, I still like where Penn State stands at, the, at this point, but, you know, Clemson's coming hard. Ohio State's going to come hard. Uh, a lot of these guys are, you know, they're not going to back off. A preemptive, a preemptive warning to Penn State fans. Strong chance Julian Fleming tweets out a photo of him in an Ohio State uniform this weekend. Don't lose your mind. Long way to go. He's got to fl- come back to Pennsylvania to get back to school, but it's probably going to happen this weekend. 
Yeah, I would say so. Uh, a couple of guys uh, showing up in Penn State gear this week, California kids, and you've been on this from the start, uh, a bunch of guys from, from Don Bosco in Bellflower, California. Drake Metcalf, offensive lineman, was in town for the weekend. He was kind of a separate visitor, came in with his dad on Friday and left on Sunday, and then a bunch of kids coming in for a practice on Monday. It's It's one of those... Not, not one of those tours, but they came out to see Penn State. They're at Michigan today as we're recording, going to see Ohio State and Notre Dame and then go back to the West Coast. But Penn State made a pretty good impression on some of those guys. Yeah, and this may be something where people look at it and say, well, you know, they're on the spring break road trip. Penn State's just a stop. It's an experience. Uh, move on. But I would encourage you to look back to the winter when Penn State hosted that group from Las Vegas. Very quickly, that produced a quarterback commitment from Micah Bowens, which took a lot of people by surprise in terms of the timing. So the early feedback here, Sean, is extremely positive. As you would expect, I'm sure we'll hear positive feedback from their next three stops. A bunch of these guys are already reporting offers from their visit at Michigan. Notre Dame, Ohio State are the other schools on this tour uh, for, for the players from Southern California. But Penn State was the first stop. And I can tell you, Bo Collins is someone, you know, top 10 wide receiver in the 2021 class. He was immediately really thrilled about the Penn State offer. Now that he's been to campus, he is really enthusiastic about getting back. He wants to get back this upcoming season for a game. Now, I think that's easier, certainly said now, fresh off the visit, than to be done while he's actually, you know, competing for a California state championship contender. There's not a lot of windows to make a cross-country trip, and he's not a guy who's eligible for official visits yet. But he's one of eight upperclassmen on the St. John Bosco team that have a Penn State offer. All of those came in February. And now you add a freshman to the list in Ernest Green, a guy that I got to speak with uh, pretty in-depth uh, yesterday. Got his Penn State offer on his way out of campus. You know, He's in the 6'5", 280-pound range, he reports, as a freshman who, who was really thrown into the fire, asked to play for a, a perennial powerhouse program. And, and I think when you look at that, at Ernest Green, he's going to end up with every offer in the book. Since Penn State offered about you know 24 hours ago, he's got Michigan and Florida State now on his list. He's got six Power 5 offers. But he did say a couple things. And we've heard this before, Sean. I know you've heard it. He said, when you get to campus, the whole coaching staff is there waiting for you. It's not like you're taking anybody by surprise by your presence. And it's not just James Franklin or Andy Frank greeting you at the door. It is a collective group for this coaching staff. Uh, he said that stood out. He also said, and this is, I think, interesting to hear from a freshman, Sean. He said the, the important aspects that he got out of it was, was Penn State uh, really teaching their players how to handle themselves financially, uh, you know, from what football provides them. Uh, and then also he said, uh, he said he was really impressed by the uh, competition between these guys on the practice field. He said that stood out as well. Micah Parsons spent some time speaking to the group, which also featured Jake Newman, Kobe Peppa, James Smith, and Court Williams. I mentioned Bo Collins. Again, all these guys have offers. And again, this is one thing that keeps popping up. Micah Parsons spending time with groups of recruits who get to campus I'm just saying it's definitely a trend at this point. Court Williams is a guy that jumps out to me in that list. He's, uh, I guess if you go by Nike Spark, the most athletic player in the country, even though that's kind of embellished. But uh, he's got a 137.94 Spark rating coming off of, uh, you know, it's the highest in the country right now. And it's just a yeah, 4640, uh, almost a 40-inch vert, on the 409 uh, agility short shuttle. I mean, this kid can move and he's 215 pounds he would make a heck of a star in that defense not really uh, sure where you know Penn State will stand with him because he's gotten a ton of offers since he went out and tested on the spark circuit uh, another uh, piece of evidence that coaches do pay attention to these camps and things like that but uh, Court Williams man he's uh, he's a guy that when, when his spark score popped up if you look at where he was at a year ago He's gained, uh, I think, 15 or 20 pounds. He's dropped three-tenths off of his 40. I mean, he's just so much bigger and stronger and athletic now. And I saw him pop up, and I was like, man, this is this is, this is is a guy. And then all of a sudden, you know, Georgia comes in an offer. Bama comes in an offer. And because he's from California, I kind of just wrote him off thinking Penn State's probably not going to pursue. Maybe they'll throw an offer out or not. And then they just littered that school with offers. So trying to, uh, to to build that relationship, not only with the, the Bosco players, but uh, also their coaching staff and the guys around that program. You, you're not sure what returns that will bring, but at the same time, I mean, it's a, it, it, it's a, it's a place that you're spending your effort and it's probably worth it. So, and it's a good time to be break, trying to break down the door of a, of a Southern California team like this, because look at the college football landscape out there right now. I mean, overall the PAC 12 is very underwhelming. I think you got to like what Oregon's doing right now, certainly and Washington's a mainstay, but USC, you know, 
very much could be looking for a new coach at the end of the season or halfway through the season. A lot of concern there, I have to imagine, on the recruiting trail. UCLA, the jury's definitely still out on Chip Kelly. I think he's still figuring out how to recruit in, in, in you know, 2019, 2020. So, uh, you know, I'm just saying there's it, it, a setting right now in Southern California where I think there's a, a more wider, a, a more you know, popped open door for you to step through than there was, say, you know, five, six years ago when USC and, and even UCLA had some nice stretches going. Didn't think the bitter Eagles fan was going to come out, but there came Chip Kelly, so you were right there. Uh, Penn State has had more uh, success at McDonough around, around Baltimore, Owings Mills, of course, P.J. Mustafer, Devon Ellis. Uh, Curtis Jacobs will be up on Wednesday for a practice. Uh, Quan Williams, 2022 defensive tackle as well. This weekend, uh, you're going to see a bunch of Ohio kids pop up, and we'll put our list up later in the week uh, on Lions 24-7, but it's going to be a bunch of Ohio kids coming in. Uh, a couple of kids that that I I looked at yesterday. Devin Hightower is kind of a, a hybrid safety linebacker. Probably, I mean, he's going to be a linebacker at some point down the down the road. And Brandon Taylor, who's a pretty intriguing defensive lineman, said Penn State hasn't been talking to him a ton, but uh, you know, suddenly the interest has started to ramp up. He's a guy that you could see in the next couple of months, sort of maybe not blowing up to the Ohio State Penn State level, but he's going to get some pretty good offers and have some really good options. Yeah, and I had a chance to, to catch up with Hightower earlier this uh, week, and he's someone who says, you know, uh, you know, right off, right point blank, you know, if Penn State offers, it would be huge, and, and it would certainly, you know, throw my recruitment into a different territory. And uh, you know, I think Penn State is a he's going to campus in an attempt to come home with that offer. We'll see if he gets it on campus or if he's a guy that they continue to you know to keep tabs on. But it certainly did sound like, you know, with Michigan, Indiana, Iowa, and Rutgers among his, his Big Ten offers, you know, he is maybe one or two offers away from breaking into a different stratosphere. You know, he's listed as a three-star, six foot two, 205 pounds. Um, I think right now, um, you know, if Penn State were to offer, it, it would really put them, you know, toward the top of this thing. But um, certainly hard to read that. Penn State's got a couple of really good linebackers in their class right now. They're still pursuing some others. So you wouldn't necessarily see them, um, I guess, extending an offer at this point uh, when they got a lot of options out there. And I don't know how many they're going to take here, Sean. Um, I don't know if you have a, a guess at linebacker, but with two guys on board already, um, you just wonder where the numbers could be. They can take three or four. They lost a couple of guys to the transfer portal, so there's room there, and you always want to add athletes. But, of course, still going after guys like Antoine Sampa, Mikhail Sherman. I think there's a bunch of guys out there that are just a little bit higher. And when you see a guy like Devin Hightower listed at 6'2", 205, you're kind of wondering, you know, is he really 6'2"? Is he 6'1 you know, 6 foot or wherever he's at? So that's a question that, uh, you know, you pop on the film, he doesn't really look like a guy that's 6'2", so you're, you're talking about length, you're talking about athleticism, all that kind of stuff. Um, we'll so say pretty pretty fun film to watch Hightower uh, in terms of a guy who gets after it. Uh, you can tell he, he likes hitting, and, and that's always fun to see. Sometimes you look at these athletes and say, we'll figure out, he'll become a good defender. Uh, but if you have that mentality of defender, that makes everything else quite a bit easier, and I think this kid has that. A really intriguing guy that, that I'm looking at that's coming in this weekend, Cullen Coleman from New York. Um, he's a guy that's picked up a lot of offers throughout the, uh, I guess, uh, the winter and he's starting to get out and see a few more schools. Penn State kind of conspicuously off that offer list, which is, it, it's interesting. It happens every year, you know, a couple of guys that pop up on the radar sort of blow up, and Penn State, you know, either they, they stick to their evaluation or they, you know, want to get them on campus to see if they're actually that size. Uh, not sure which category that uh, Cullen Coleman fits in, but, you know, Bama's offered, a, uh, th there's a lot of guys out there, or excuse me, a lot of schools out there that are in pursuit. I'm interested to see where he stands, uh, because this is a kid that, you know, the film looks great, but he's, you know, the, the, the competition's not very good. So you want to see if that athleticism pops, that size matches up with what he's listed. I think he's listed at 6'3". So Cullen Coleman's a guy that's uh, certainly intriguing from a visitor standpoint, as well as Nick Dawkins, who's a kid from Pennsylvania and Penn State, you know, sort of slower with their Pennsylvania offers, because once they offer a kid from Pennsylvania, you know, if they're not going to take them, that might be a problem. So uh, Nick Dawkins, the son of Daryl Dawkins, Chocolate Thunder, uh, uh, who the late Chocolate Thunder. Um, so he's got an opportunity as an interior offensive lineman, po possibly as a defensive tackle. He's a pretty good player uh, out of Parkland. I think we have him as a mid to high three star in 24-7 sports. So He's coming in this weekend. I think he's one to watch as well. Yeah, Dawkins is a guy I'm going to actually speak with pretty 
soon after we get off the podcast here. So hopefully we'll have some more details, uh, some thoughts on his upcoming visit, what he'll be looking for up on lines 24-7. Someone else had a a chance to speak with uh, in the last few days, Stephen Ortiz Jr. Now this this offer may, you know, kind of gone by a lot of people, flashed in front of your face and you said, well, the kid's from Arizona, not going to pay too much attention. But his father and him, very, very excited about this one. And his dad actually have been reaching out to me before this offer to, to express his son's interest in Penn State. So, uh, and, you know, kind of dug around. It's, okay, what, what's the deal here? Turns out uh, there is family in Pennsylvania. You never know when that's going to pop up. But it's one of those situations where Ortiz's father was born and raised in New York City. Uh, his family, who he was with there, now lives in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. He spent a lot of time in that area over the last years. And he knows what Penn State football is all about. He knows how revered it is in the region. He says it's something he could see him being a part of. And uh, this is a guy who's in that 2021 class. He's considered the number 10 cornerback in that class nationally in 247 sports rankings. And and someone that I think is really going to do his best to get to Penn State as soon as possible. Could see that happening maybe late spring into early summer. At this point, five offers on the table for him. Uh, The first couple coming as a freshman, Arizona and Syracuse. But got to say, I think Penn State really high impact offer and I think he's a guy despite his proximity in the southwest is going to warrant you know pretty close attention throughout his recruitment and another kid that just popped up on the radar as well William Nixon a receiver out of Waco Texas Midway uh the Nixon name obviously is pretty common but this is Jeff Nixon's kid Jeff played running back for the Nittany Lions in the mid-1990s and he was a guy that whose name actually popped up when we're talking about the running back's job uh, uh, you know, I, I guess a year ago when they hired Jay Wan Sider, I guess when they hired David Corley and then they hired Jay Wan Sider to take that running backs job. Jeff Nixon, the co-offensive coordinator and running backs coach at Baylor. So this is a kid that, uh, you know, he's got a nice skill set. He's a fast kid. He's, he's about 5'10", 180. So a little more slot um, than, than the outside, but he's got a Notre Dame offer. He went up there and visited in early March, walked away with the offer. Baylor, of course, is offered. So uh, you know, this is Penn State pulling on those relationships. Jeff Nixon's, uh, you know, he's got his entire family in State College for the most part. William Nixon came up in camp last summer. He says he's going to be back this spring as well. So we'll see what comes of that. Yep, legacy recruitments are always interesting. And and uh, Sean, shifting focus to, to who Penn State actually already has on their roster. We're a week into spring camp. Last week, you and I spent uh, a bunch of time breaking down the offensive positions. I think it's only right to shed that spotlight on the defensive guys this time around. Well, I just also realized that I just completely skipped Keontae Jenkins as the headliner this weekend. So uh, the four-star <laughs> corner from Virginia is coming up this weekend. So my bad on that one. I'm just going through my notes here. But yeah, you're right. This uh, this defense, I think, has a lot of potential to be a very good defense. They, there's there's holes in a couple spots. There's question marks in a couple spots. They need to, to work those things out. But, you know, if you start uh, at defensive end, you like where you're starting. You, I mean, this is a group that as a whole looks good. But, I mean, you just focus on Yitor Gross Matos. And this is uh, this kid's a monster, man. I mean, he's, uh, he's all-American potential. I think this is probably going to be his last year um, just based on what we saw in the field this year. And unfortunately for Rashid Walker, Sean Spencer got a hold of a clip this week and put it on Twitter. And it just, Rashid Walker's a really, really good prospect. And, oh man, you just see what a freshman looks like going up against an All-American because Yitar just clubbed him out of the way. He looked like, you know, one of those guys on punch out when you staggered him and they fall over. Uh, That was a tough one to see for Rashid Walker. If you're judging Rashid Walker on that one clip, then you you don't know much about football. Um, But uh, Ito Gross Matos, the sky's the limit for this kid this year. Yeah, that was uh, really, really great of Coach Chaos, I'm sure, in Walker's point of view. Uh, But yeah, I mean... Etor Gross Modest is going to be that guy that you know we're already running out of ways to describe you know what he can be, you know what he did last year, that stretch he had in the Big Ten where he just seemed to be in the backfield every other play, um, you know really helped them get through some of those tough games. Iowa, Indiana, uh, really stepped up his game. And speaking of Indiana, that's when we saw that big flash on from Shaka Tony. I think it was four sacks in the last five minutes. Now, they needed that. That would have been a brutal loss for them to come home with. Uh, Shaka Tony, though, you look at his overall body of work, and, and you know that was a great flash, but can he spread that over the course of 12, 13 games? That's going to be the question. He was the first guy that Sharif Miller went to uh, after his pro day workout when he was asked who's going to go get that starting job. Now, I think the caveat here is Shane Simmons and where he is at from a health standpoint. We know that you know derailed his ambitions early in the season last year. 
we saw him on the first you know, practice of, of the spring holding his helmet in the back of that stretching line. So that's going to matter a lot because Shane Simmons was a you know a five star for a reason, a coveted prospect who's just gotten bigger and bigger. You hear about it all the time how he's ready to turn that corner, and I just think those three guys, including Daniel Joseph, the red shirt juniors. This is year four. Time to make that move, or you may not get that chance, or, or you know it, this is kind of now or never. Uh, to, to, it, the spots available, the reps are there. Uh, you know, Shaka Tony, Shane Simmons, Daniel Joseph. I think they all have a, a lot to prove, um, and they are veterans on this team. Yeah, and, and I think Simmons can be productive when healthy. That's the that's the caveat, though. I mean, if he's not healthy, he's not going to be out there. Uh, I, I have written down here. You're, you're curious to see who that fourth guy is because Daniel Joseph has gotten in there. He's made some plays and done some good things, but at the same time, you've got guys like Jason Awe coming up through the ranks. Uh, Adisa Isaac, I don't think, is going to be that guy, but he's got that kind of potential to you know, eventually be a starter. Not sure where Nick Tarburton really stands on the uh, on the depth chart or where he would he would find, he would end up, but this is a big year for Daniel Joseph because it's one of those guys where, you know, if he doesn't play a lot, the transfer portal is, is certainly an option for, for guys like that, and if not, I mean, he's got potential. I mean, this is a good, this is a really really good defensive end room of course you know you'd like Sharif Miller to be back for his senior year but uh this is a this is a really good room and you've kind of got to establish yourself so it's probably pretty much now or never for Daniel Joseph I would think yeah I certainly think and and you mentioned Jason away we 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 hear just you know all the hype is is legit in terms of the physicality everything you're hearing from from coach Galt from coach Spencer um it's all the same stuff that we talked about as recruitment the potential is there and he flashed it in in a game I, I still think that's something that was very impressive. I don't care who they were playing. He went out there and put together two sacks in his first college game. Uh, and this is a guy who's, you know, still at you know early phases of his development. It would be huge if he makes that leap for this team. I think it would give you a, a, a weapon off the edge that maybe you didn't know you would have quite there yet. If Jason Owe can make that leap between now and September. But I will say Nick Tarburton is a guy that I was extremely surprised to see on the football field against App State in the opener last year. And I know he only ended up playing two games, but I think he's someone who could surprise us again and really carve out a bigger role. And I just think there's a lot of excitement about you know, the edge he brings mentally. And I think he's put together a, a, a nice uh, you know, conditioning and, and the weight has been added. He's a guy who's transitioned from linebacker. And when he watched him play linebacker, so much about his game told you that you know, this is a guy who could flourish at defensive end. But I think with him away, you're still wondering, you know, where is that progress? And you know, there's a lot to answer, but I think you really do like the depth, whereas defensive tackle, there are more red flags to be raised. Yeah, I mean, I'm not really sure how to feel about that group right now. Uh, Fred Hanser is a guy that could go a long way in solidifying that group. But, uh, you know, he's going to be limited this spring if he can do anything. Coming off that nasty injury against Michigan State last year, I believe. And Ellison Jordan's tough to count on right now uh, because of his injury. If you look at the top of the depth chart, uh, Robert Winters, a guy that's played a lot of football for Penn State, been pretty productive when he's been in there. Of course, you look at what Givens was able to do, but Windsor was responsible for a bunch of that. Really, a lot of it comes down to Antonio Shelton and P.J. Mustafer battling for the other spot, and both are going to play. I don't have any doubt about that. Shelton did some nice things at the end of the year last year. Mustaver phenomenally talented, but again, this this group, um, you know, there's 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 a bunch of question marks going through here. There are guys that uh, you know, redshirt freshman Judge Culpepper could factor into that as well. So uh, it's just I'm not sure how it's going to look. I, you know who the top three guys are. When Hanser gets back, I think he'll be the fourth guy. But uh, beyond that, you you don't want to see an injury on the interior. Yeah, PJ Mustaver was only the second true freshman that that. Coach Spencer says he implemented uh, with those kind of snaps at, during his true freshman season, and obviously the new redshirt rule, you know, is more accommodating for something like that to happen. But I think you know he's someone who made noticeable strides, looked a lot more comfortable out there, game 11, 12, 13 than he did early in the season, which you'd expect, and that's what you want to see in the progression. Uh, Fred Hansard, you know, certainly good to see him out there on the football field when a guy ends up with a season-ending uh, injury and, and, and suing surgery. Um, we see we saw him in a cast down in Orlando or boot, I should say, in Orlando. Um, so you just never know where that where he's going to be, and, and to see him out there, that's a good sign. You know, with his helmet on, um, I certainly believe with the defensive tackle position, 
we're not going to see a duplication of a freshman coming in, at least in my opinion, a freshman coming in and making the kind of impact that PJ Mustafer made. I just think it's a different group. Uh, guys are some, a little bit more de developmental, and maybe I'm shortchanging Devon Ellis, but I just don't see that uh, you know a contributor emerging who isn't on this roster. Damian Barber has been you know a guy that you and I have both got, both been asked a lot of questions about, and you know he's had two years in this program now. Um, you know you'd really like to see that you know translate on the practice field we didn't get to see him with the varsity crew at all last year uh, maybe a couple spots here and there i believe uh can he make that leap can he make some strides forward because i think that can go a long way he's got the nice you know physical athletic arsenal but we just don't know if that's going to be put together quite yet yeah big spring for damian barber not in the sense that he's in danger of losing a job or anything like that but i think he can probably push himself higher up the depth chart than really anybody else in that group i mean you've uh you from from where he stands right now to where he could go so it could be that fourth guy uh especially with hansard out uh, or excuse me hansard limited coming off that injury he's got an opportunity to do so i've heard good things about his i think growth in the program and that's something we've talked about with journey brown before is you know his his off the field stuff is probably more important than his on the field stuff and of course Damian Barber had academic issues coming in he delayed his enrollment uh, because of that but you know the the opportunity is there and we'll see what he can do right. with and, it. and Judge Culpepper you know goes through that transformation from defensive end to defensive tackle so you got to kind of recalibrate your coordination with that added weight and then on the flip side Clearly, there was an emphasis to, to shed weight off of Aeneas Hawkins. Uh, he's lost considerable pounds from his frame. So a lot of these guys, you know, they've been going through the process. We didn't expect to see them last year. You know, anything could emerge to that position. But James Franklin said about the defensive tackle, uh, one of the areas of emphasis where they need some answers in terms of depth, he pointed to defensive tackle, safety, and wide receiver. I'll know we'll get to safety in a second, but I think there is a lot of excitement about linebackers, Sean. Uh, there's some known commodities, and then there is – just a batch of young talent that that uh, can't wait to see Penn State tap into that because uh, it could be really special. It, it's crazy to see where the linebacker room is right now than, than compared to where it was two years ago because the the guys that have come in there have just sort of overhauled everything. I mean, you're talking about moving out guys like Braylon Faisenwald and Dalen Darian, guys Jarvis Miller who was a backup for a couple of years. Just those guys, you know, were. were passed by younger, more talented guys. And, you know, you look at the athletic numbers for guys like Micah and Jesse Lucetta and, and uh, you know, Cam Brown has stepped up as well. So, I mean, you've got plenty of options in there. A lot of it is still young, and you really like what Brent Pry has to work with. You know, I've got Cam starting at the Sam, Jan Johnson, who I know a lot of people you would like to see him passed up, but he, I think he's going to be your starting middle linebacker. And then Micah, of course, is out there in front of Jesse Lucetta, Brooks, and, you know, excuse me, Ellis Brooks, who showed some flashes last year at the end of uh, at the end of the season? He's got an opportunity to to battle with Jan, and then uh, we'll see what happens behind Cam at the Sam uh, linebacker spot. Charlie Catcher is there. Uh, Lance Dixon's also there, and, and you've you've got other bodies elsewhere. Brandon Smith's going to play the mic this spring, so just there's there's plenty of options. I think it's going to be a good group regardless of of, of what you throw out. I there. think this this projects as you know a, a position that could really just take a huge huge step forward with this group because I like the combination that, that you have right now Cam Brown a guy that you continue to hear is, is you know building that leadership and 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 building the trust with the coaching staff and physical uh, physically he is he's well put together out there he can do a lot of stuff and, and I just think the versatility that he brings is impressive and, and now he's been with the program for a while Jan Johnson not nearly as versatile. We, we know he's a guy who needs to come off the field in certain packages, certain situations, uh, but he was stead steady last year. And he's a guy, Brent Price said it, he exceeded expectations. But as Price said, you know, at, at the conclusion of last regular season, uh, there is going to be a battle for that spot. And, and this is a big spring, I think, for Ellis Brooks. You know, his third year with the program coming up and uh, a, a guy that, you know, has had flashes last year. And uh, you wonder if he can make that move, be the guy who pushes for that starting job. I think it's a big year for him. And then in terms of Micah Parsons, he's popping up and, and he's going to keep popping up in all these preseason articles about, you know, the, the next Big Ten star, the next Penn State great linebacker. And, you know, everything you heard about him during the recruitment uh, in terms of negative uh, has been dispelled at this point. He, he's been acknowledged as a great teammate, a guy who's getting it done off the field, someone who won't stop knocking on the door of Brent Pry and James Franklin to get more info. And uh, that praise, uh, I'd imagine, you know, is is well earned. And everything here about Parsons is he's becoming one of those 
younger leaders and younger presences, but not because he's you know going out there and screaming at everybody, just because he comes to work every day and, and he's getting it done just like everybody else and, and he's putting the superstar thing aside. I just think with Micah Parsons and Etor Gross Matos, you know, find me, you know, two guys in the Big Ten that you'd rather build a defensive around. Uh, there are guys who are, you know, a little more experienced than Micah, certainly a couple of years on him. But I think those two foundational pieces for this defense, along with, with what you've got at cornerback, uh, there's not a lot of teams that can rival, you know, some of these pillars of your defense. Now, we'll see what everyone does around them. Uh, but I think that's a tremendous, tremendous foundation. Good group. And I was going to say this about Noah Kane last week, but it, it, it you know, bears repeating, or I guess I didn't really say it, so it doesn't bear repeating, but I can say it about Micah as well. The savvy ones want to surround themselves. I mean, they they know that surrounding themselves with more talent, and Noah Kane came up and was a recruiter right away. Micah Parsons has been a recruiter. They know that surrounding themselves with the talent, even if they're just going to be on campus for, with these guys for one or two, maybe two years, it's going to make them look better as well. So Micah Parsons is doing work on and off the field. Uh, excited to see where he can go because he's seems to have grown up quite a bit uh, since we started following him. And, you know, to his credit, he's uh, he's going to blossom into, I think, was probably going to be an All-American here. And, so, and how, uh, how really, healthy uh, is this position, Sean? We haven't even talked about the number one and number two linebackers in the 247 sports rankings for the 2019 class in terms of making an impact. I think Brandon Smith, Lance Dixon, they get on the field this year and they can shine for you. That's great. But to be able to get two guys like them and not need to rush them onto the field – that is a luxury that not a lot of teams have. And Penn State's done that at linebacker. I think that kind of speaks about what they have going on there. Yeah, in Penn State, if you, if you, I think where they have eight or nine linebackers on scholarship right now, if you put that eight or nine up against the, the 2017 game, or excuse me, the 2018 team or the 2017 team, and just look from top to bottom where those things stand, it's, it's pretty astounding. So um, sort of uh, they've flushed that position in the last uh, year or so, and it's, it's, really, it's really done wonders. Corner's another good group. Of course, uh, you know you know what you've got there. You've got John Reed, Tariq Castro-Fields, uh, Donovan Johnson in a sling when we saw him at practice last week. So they're working on filling guys that uh, that can fill out that depth chart. You lost Zach McPherson, but you still there's a lot of talent there. There's a lot of opportunity. There's a lot of opportunity for the young guys to get in there and be that third or fourth guy. And a guy that we really don't talk about a ton, Trent Gordon, is, uh, is a name that's popped up more than a few times this offseason. Trent Gordon all of a sudden is the last defensive back remaining from that 2018. Teen uh, recruiting class, and and he seems to be, uh, you know, certainly someone who's made strides. Franklin actually mentioned him uh, by name late in the last season when asked about guys who were doing it, you know, behind the scenes, weren't going to, you know, play five, six, seven, eight games and burn red shirts, but we're getting it done on the practice field. Trent Gordon was a name that surfaced there. I think, you know, he's got momentum, and and you are, you know, an injury away here, and you've got a guy, John Reed, who's dealt with a serious injury. You're an injury away here from really having, you know, some concern just in terms of experience because Donovan Johnson he has had issues staying on the field. We'll see how, how that goes for with his health. But I, I think you're looking at a spot where Keaton Ellis, a guy we've talked about a lot, a guy that the, that Terry Smith has really pointed to as someone they are excited about his potential immediate uh, impact. He may need to, to be heavily involved here. And, and I don't want to shortchange Marquise Wilson. I just personally think that Keaton, Keaton Ellis is better equipped at, at this stage of his development to contribute in 2019. But you really have to like those starters. John Reed, a fifth-year senior, and Tariq Castro-Fields, a guy that plays with a ton of swagger. He'll hit you. He's a junior, and, and I think he's somebody who, who could be in line for a, a major breakout season for himself. Yeah, I think that's that's certainly possible. Um, I, I do I do like Marquise Wilson. I mean, I know I like Keaton Ellis as well, but Marquise Wilson's a guy that's gotten a lot of buzz since he arrived on campus in January. So they've got options. I don't think they're going to throw much at John Reed this uh, this spring. Seems that's where he hurt the knee in the first place with spring practice. So opportunity for those guys. Gordon is just one of those guys that he he puts his head down. You don't hear much from him on social media. You don't hear much from him at all to begin with uh, anywhere. So. Uh, interested to see where that where that pops out. I think Donovan Johnson's a really good player, and that's uh, unfortunate that he's not going to be out there. Of course, he he got hurt. I think it was the Illinois game last year, uh, forced him to miss a little bit of time and sort of kind of derailed his season. But then Penn State went to just basically playing three corners instead of four like they usually do. So um, that kind of hurt his, uh, his his impact that he had on the game. But I think uh, Donovan Johnson, who looks like he's back to number three now. Um, after being listed as number two on the original roster. Um, so uh, it's, uh, it's certainly opportunity there. But again, a uh, talented room, uh, a spot they feel good about, and it's a spot that I think will, won't see much change going into the season. 
That can't be said about safety. You mentioned James Franklin had plenty of questions. I have plenty of questions uh, about the situation there. Garrett, Garrett Taylor is back. Jonathan Sutherland, Lamont Wade uh, look to be the, the the guys that are stepping up, uh, you know, to, to to fill that spot opposite him. And James Franklin talked about the field safety and the the boundary safety and everything like that. But at the end of the day, they're looking for the top two guys. And if that happens to be Taylor and Sutherland, Taylor and Wade, doesn't really matter which position that they have him slotted as. But there's a lot of questions there, especially with Jaquan Brisker arriving in early Yeah, May. pretty good source of insight here is Nick Scott, who obviously was a starter back there at safety in 2018. Um, he was asked straight up two questions about that group. One, um, who did he think was you know ready to make that step up and, and fill that role? His first guy that he mentioned was Lamont Wade. Um, and then he was asked who's going to be the defensive captain for this team. He said Garrett Taylor. So obviously, you know <laughs> that you see where his mindset is in terms of what Garrett Taylor is going to be able to do in 2019. Uh, you've talked about this before. I think Garrett Taylor, you know, really came along nicely last year. But I, I don't think you you rest your hat on on saying he's a guy who who is uh, you know you know pencil him as in as an All Big Ten player. Don't worry about that spot. I think he's still got some strides to make. He's still got things to prove. But certainly last year was a huge opportunity for him. And, and overall, he took advantage of that. I think next to him, you know, Lamont Wade, you know, the highly scrutinized among some and, and certainly highly publicized entrance into the NCAA portal gives you the impression that, that this is going to be essentially maybe a make or break year for his college career in state college because you know, he, he's going to be graduating. He's going to have a chance to do that all over again next offseason. Certainly don't think that'll happen if he's out there on the field and contributing. This is year three, a guy who was, you know, obviously lauded coming to campus. He's been a really high-impact special teams player. But this is where, you know, if you are that alpha dog and, and coming out of high school like he certainly was, and you're the guy who's going to seize this job, now is the time because Jaquan Brisker is coming. And Jonathan Sutherland, you know, probably took too long for me to mention him, but Love the way he hits. I love his comp competitive attitude. Um, to me, it, it was it was telling though to hear Nick Scott go right to Lamont Wade. You know, he he certainly gave some love to Jonathan uh, Sutherland, but he really said that he feels like Lamont Wade is in the position to step up among all those other safeties that are clamoring for jobs. Um, so I think that carries some weight from Nick. This is everything that Lamont Wade could really ask exactly. for. I mean, you know, I, I think he probably wanted to be a corner, no doubt about it. But, uh, you know, he, he put on the weight. He took that year in sort of a transition period. And, you know, you've got an opportunity to step in there and start. Now, uh, you know, Sutherland is, is certainly uh, you know, good competition for him as well. And uh, Brisker, when he gets in town, will be competition as well. But if you're Lamont Wade, and we talked about this when he put his name in the portal, it didn't really make sense to transfer if he thought he could play right now. So... Um, this is this is his opportunity to do so, and and you're right. You, you, Taylor needs to improve. Wade needs to improve. Sutherland, everybody back there needs to improve. And maybe Brisker, you know, what if Brisker comes in and he's not the answer? You know, you've, you're all of a sudden left, uh, you know, searching for things uh, down the road or immediately or down the road. So um, there's uh, so many question marks that happen. Um, you know, I think that safety you know, is probably not as stable as it was a year ago, and it really wasn't very stable back then, but Really intrigued to see what these guys can do. Uh, I think they've got athleticism back there. They've got talent back there. It's just a matter of putting it yeah, together. Yeah, there's two paths that I think uh, on the morning of April 14th after the blue-white game is over and spring practice has ended, you know, either this staff is saying Jaquan Brisker can't get to this campus enough because we don't have an answer at safety, or they say Jaquan's going to have to come in here and really fight because we've got a couple guys or one guy that's going to be hard to, to wrangle this job away from. And I think wherever that goes is going to be a pretty defining storyline heading into the summer camp. And if you're Penn State, you prefer it to be the second one because that means you found something at safety this spring. Our path has led us 53 minutes, it looks like, and it looks like that's probably about all the time we have for today. Thank you for joining us um, on the Lions 24-7 podcast. I'm Sean Fitz. He's Tyler Donahue. We'll be back at you next week, and I guess that's that's pretty much it. Tyler, you got anything? You got any bracket busters to, to share with us for the, the, the coming days? Uh, yeah, this is going to sound dumb because I'll probably lose Wednesday night, but I'll hop on my wife's grad school team, Arizona State. Go Sun Devils. They're going all the way. Big Herm Edwards guy, <laughs> this guy. But uh, thanks for joining us on the Lions 24-7 podcast. We'll see you next time.